Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. Philippians 2, verse 5. Are you guys there? Yes. If you're not there, the verses will be on the screen. You could follow along that way. All right, it says this. Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now this is a powerful passage of uh, scripture on the character of Christ. And one of the primary things we see in this passage on his character is his humility. Humility. And even though he, of all people, could be proud, he chooses humility. And this is a fascinating contrast to our day and age where a lot of people are filled with pride. And so tonight we're going to talk about pride and humility. And we're going to talk about it in three parts. We're going to talk about good and bad pride. We're going to talk about practicing humility. And then we're going to talk about how Christ's way is best. All right, that's what we're going to go, that, that simple outline. Good and bad pride. We're going to talk about practicing humility. And then we're going to talk about Christ's way is best. All right, point one, part one, good and bad pride. You with me? All right, my goal is to be helpful, clear, um, and then applicable. All right, good and bad pride. Um, pride is interesting because there are things to be proud of, right? Like accomplishing something. You should be proud of that. Or seeing someone else learn or grow and succeed is something to be proud of, right? And we use that word like, man, I'm just proud of what I accomplished. Or I'm proud of them for what they've done or who they've become and things like that. Now, the Bible doesn't use the word pride or proud when it speaks of that type of feeling. It uses a different word, oftentimes translated or or looked at as well-pleased. Think about the Genesis account when God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in it. After every day and after every creation, he says, it's good. The idea is like, I'm proud of what I've accomplished. And then at the end of the six days of creation, after the sixth day, on the seventh day, he rested. We get the idea of Sabbath from that seventh day rest. And the idea of rested is not that God was tired. It wasn't after all of that creation, God's like, I need a nap. I need a rest. I need to just sit back and chill. The idea of rested is that he was proud of what he accomplished. It's basically the only way I can describe it is what I feel like after I've mowed my lawn. After I've mowed the lawn and I've used the weed eater and I've edged and I've used the leaf blower and blown off all the leaves into my neighbor's yard, I sit back and I just am like, I crack open a LaCroix and I'm just like, yeah, I did that. And I'm like, babe, that's, I did that. It's my lawn. It's my plot of planet Earth. I own that. I mowed that. It's mine. And I feel great. It's like this sense of accomplishment. It was work, it was effort, but after being done with it, I'm I'm proud of what I've accomplished. I'm well pleased. Another time this idea is used in the Bible is when Jesus is baptized. 
We're told that Jesus goes to the Jordan River. John the Baptist baptizes him. He comes up, and then the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And then there's a voice from heaven. It says, Behold, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the amazing thing about the approval that comes from the Father to Jesus, it's before he ever does anything. Right? Jesus is baptized, and then from his baptism, he goes and begins to do the ministry. It wasn't like at the end of Jesus' life, after he'd done all these things, God was like, okay, I'm pleased with you. The approval came before the working. Are you hearing me? The identity that he has in God is where he gets his approval from. And so the encouragement for us and our identity and who we are is that God's approval comes from our identity, not from what we accomplish. The approval from God, he looks at you as a beloved son or a beloved daughter because of your identity and relationship with Christ. Approval comes before the action or the accomplishment. But the idea is this is well-pleased or, or, or finished or I'm proud of something. But the Bible uses a different word to describe the negative sense. God, God doesn't say, this is my beloved son whom I'm proud of. And he doesn't say, hey, this is my creation that I'm proud of. He uses a different idea. And that's where like English kind of falls short. Um, because Hebrew and Greek had a lot of different words to describe different things. In fact, the Greeks had like five words to describe love, where we got one. Right? We're like, I love cheeseburgers. I love that movie. I love my mom. I love my child. Right? We got one word. They had different words to describe it. And so English kind of gets messed up. So we say, I'm proud, when we mean I'm well pleased. But the Bible uses a different word. And so pride, good pride, we, we would probably call it more I'm well pleased or, or I've accomplished. Pride in the Bible is always viewed as a sin. So what is pride? Well, three things. Number one, pride is selfishness. Pride is selfishness. I said me or mine. That's selfishness, right? Think about a child. As they grow up, you don't have to teach them to do bad things or to be selfish. They're just immediately, one of the first words is mine. Don't touch it, that's mine. My room, my thing, my toy, my stuff, my food, mine, mine, mine. It's all about me. It's all about mine. And the text in Philippians is an antidote to the disunity that was happening in Philippi. The verses that we just read about Christ's humility is the antidote to the pride and the arrogance that was happening in the church in Philippi. And the Apostle Paul instructs them to, have, to be unified and to have the same mind as Christ. The problem was that people were focused on self, their life, their problems, their spiritual growth, their position, their status, their influence, and, and it was all about them. And pride is when it's all about me. I'm more important than you. And this stems from an improper view of self and a low view of others. Right? It stems from an improper view of self and a low view of others. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 3, the section before. He says, talking about how we are to treat one another. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but... In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
And in this verse, he gives us a proper view of self and then an esteemed view of others. Right? The proper view of self, he says, look out not only for your own interests. In other words, look out for your own interests. He doesn't say don't think about yourself at all. He says think about yourself. Look out not only for your own interests, so look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then this is the key. It says esteeming others better than yourself. So it's a, it's a healthy view of self. Okay, I need, a, I need to look out for my interests in the sense of I need to make sure that I'm moving forward, I'm making good decisions, I'm growing in my relationship with God, I'm hearing from him, I'm being obedient. There's absolutely things that you have to look out for yourself for. Are you hearing me? Like We're not just to like ignore yourself, but there's a proper view of self that leads to an esteemed view of others. And so, so selfishness is when it's all about me. Selfishness is it's, it's all about my life. It's all about focus completely and entirely on me. And this problem when everything becomes self, uh, selfish or self-reflective or self-focused is, one, we start mistreating others, right? Because my life is way more important than yours. Have you guys seen that Instagram video or that TikTok about that guy that's like, He's being interviewed. This is so random. It just popped in my head. So if you haven't seen it, I'll move along. Um, but it's a guy interviewing, and somebody walks in front of the camera, and the guy's like, I can't believe that. He just walked in front of me. And the guy, like, starts, like, he's like, well, everybody's busy, and everybody has their own life, and everybody's, like, a multiverse of feelings and emotions inside themselves. Have you guys seen this video? Yeah. And, it's like, and the guy's like, that was deep. And he's like, well, you got to dig deep if you're going to find things that are deep. If you're always sitting on the surface, you're never going to find anything of depth. And the guy's like, whoa. And it's kind of that idea where, like, everybody has a life and circumstances and situations and feelings and trouble at home and, and things going on. But selfishness thinks I'm the only one that has this kind of stuff going on. And what a proper view of others does goes, I recognize I got stuff going on, but I'm going to esteem others. I'm going to focus on how can I help somebody else? Because if I can learn to focus and help somebody else, what we see is our problems begin to shrink. One of the best antidotes to pride is service. One of the best antidotes to selfishness is looking out how can I serve somebody else? Because then all of a sudden my problems might fade away or seem insignificant, not just in comparison. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying go find somebody with the most miserable life you can find, hang out with them, and then your life will seem better. It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is as you learn to serve and give and esteem others, your situations begin to fade off into the background. But there's selfishness. That's pride. The second idea of pride is self-righteousness. I call this my way. Selfishness is basically saying, I don't need anyone else. It's all about me. Self-righteousness is saying that I don't need God. In an age of pride, we think that we're good enough to be approved by God, gain access to God, and hold our own before God. So many people in our world think that just on their virtues alone, just on their good behavior alone, just upon their good deeds alone, they can stand before a perfect, just, holy God and God be like, hey, you're good. Come on in. Just based upon their own good deeds and good behavior alone. 
This week, this is, uh, this wasn't in the notes, it's just a hilarious story, so I'm going to tell you guys. Um, this week, me and Ethan and a couple other guys went on a surf trip to Nicaragua, and uh, after surfing the whole week, we were leaving, we were in a mall, and uh, we, our flight was at one in the morning, it ended up getting canceled, it's a whole long story. But we're in this mall, and we, like, decide we just need to chill out. It's, like, 9 o'clock at night. We just need to relax till our flight at 1 a.m. So we find a bench, and I fall asleep on the bench. And mind you, we've been surfing. I'm sunburned. I, my, I hadn't shaved. Didn't look great. And uh, I've fallen asleep on the bench, and the security officer came over. He's like, hey, in Spanish. She's like, I, you can't sleep here. you got to sit up. And so I'm, like, woken up from, like, a bench sleep in a mall. And I, like, sit up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, all right. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden there's this family of, like, Nicaraguans. And this boy, like, probably nine years old, comes over with a cookie and, like, offers it to me. And, like, I think he thought, like, this guy must be homeless. And, like, offers me a cookie. And I'm like, oh. And I was like, no, I'm good. And he, like, looks at me like, no, you need the cookie more than I do. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so then I take it, and then a few seconds later, I kid you not, this, like, little girl that's maybe four walks over with a cheeseburger and, like, ha- like tries to hand me the cheeseburger. And I look at the mom, and I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> I don't need any food. I'm good. Like, we're, and I literally, like, they're like, this poor, poor man <laughs> sleeping on a bench. Like, he's homeless. He needs a cheeseburger. Like, let's help this guy out. <laughs> but, like, I think sometimes we think, like, you know, they get in their car and go home, like, we are so nice. We helped that poor homeless guy out. Like, we're such good people. And sometimes we think, a lot of people think that just based upon good, kind deeds, that's going to get us approved by God. Like, I can get to God just by being nice to a homeless person or, or going out of my way to some. And at the end of the day, like, maybe as long as the scales balance out or, or, or I'm heavier on the good things than bad things, then God will be fine with me. I don't need God. I've got me, and I can figure this thing out. And self-righteousness says, I am good enough to approach a perfect, just, holy God based upon my good deeds alone. The problem with that is we're not talking about good deeds. We're talking about perfection. We're not talking about just doing enough to get by. We're saying you are dead in sin and you need to somehow figure out a way to resurrect your own life. The problem with that is once you're dead on the table, you're not getting back up. You need an outside force to bring you back to life. And that's the gospel. The gospel says you're dead in sin, and Jesus comes in and with a defibrillator brings us back to life. Says you are dead, and now you're alive in Christ Jesus. We don't need self-righteousness. We need what the Bible calls imputed righteousness. Something that comes from an outside source and says, even though you're dead, I can bring you back to life. But pride says, I've got this. Pride says, I can do this. I'm good enough. I can be perfect without God. And the pride of humanity says that we don't need God. We have science. We have academia. We have modern medicine. We have collective knowledge. And we're so much smarter than the ancients. And we're so much smarter than people that have gone before us. We're so much smarter than God because we have Wikipedia. 
And the problem is, is we recognize that actually when you're face-to-face with an all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal God, <laughs> the encyclopedia of knowledge isn't, it doesn't stand. It isn't enough. And so pride says, I've got it. I'm self-righteous. And then the third thing, the way pride manifests is in celebrating what God condemns. Celebrating what God condemns. I call this my truth. So we've got me, mine, we've got my way, and then we've got my truth. Selfishness is basically saying, I don't need anyone else. Self-righteousness is saying, I don't need God. Celebrating what God condemns is saying that I know better than God. Now listen, I said this a few weeks ago and I'll say it again, but God's design is always for human fruitfulness and human flourishing. That's what God cares about. God cares about human fruitfulness. That's why from the very beginning, it's be fruitful and multiply. Make a bunch of humans, right? Be fruitful and then also for flourishing. The idea is take what I have given you and use it for other people's benefit and for God's glory. God is always for human fruitfulness and flourishing. Jesus came so that we could have life and life to the full. And so listen, the ways of God... And the warnings of God are always designed to bring life. Okay? The ways of God and the warnings of God are always designed to bring life. Life to the full for you. And then in the same way that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, so are other people. And it's our job, the follower of Jesus, is to bring that life-giving message of Jesus to those people that are dead so that they can find life in Christ. God is all about life. God is all about human fruitfulness and flourishing. What we see a lot in our culture, in our world, is people disagreeing with God, redefining God, and then doing whatever they want. They condemn God and celebrate sin, rather than condemning sin and celebrating the goodness and grace of God. Pride says, I know better than God, and says that what God calls sin and leads to death actually leads to life. And this is probably the biggest lie that we're experiencing in our world. Basically saying, you can figure out the best way for you to live, and it won't lead to death. Saying, I know better than God. Yeah, sure, I'm sure the Bible says that, or I'm sure... People have experienced that, or I'm sure there's a God out there or whatever, but my way for my short amount of years, I actually have accumulated more information than God. And pride says, I know better than God. And says that what God calls sin and uh, sin and leads to death actually leads to life. And so whether it's a behavior or an activity or an identity, we must submit what we think under what God thinks. Trust and obey that the words of God are going to lead to life and choose to trust him beyond what we feel or understand. This is sort of the call of the Christian, right? It's to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. It's to say that I'm going to submit my feelings, my uh, experiences, my desires, my, my emotions or, or, or attractions that I can't quite articulate I'm actually going to submit that to God in his way and trust that his way leads to life.
Now, God's design, again, is always to wash, grow, and justify sinners. And so the, the invitation is regardless of background or context or failure or desires or appetites or whatever. There's an invitation to follow Jesus and to grow and to become like him. And so we must learn to celebrate God and condemn what the Bible calls sin, trusting that God's way is right and good, even if it's culturally difficult or if it causes us to die to ourselves. which is ultimately the life of the Christian, denying self, taking up the cross, and following him. Okay, so that's the first point, good and bad pride. Pride is self-righteousness, selfishness, um, and celebrating what God condemns. Um, Point number two, we have to practice humility. So practice humility. Um, This text, again, also shows us how to practice humility. The context uh, of the passage is important. Paul is explaining to the church how to behave towards one another, and then he uses the behavior of Christ as our example. And there's three motivations that he gives us to practice humility. The first is others. How do you practice humility? Others. (laughs) Esteem others. Look for ways to serve one another. It's been said, and every time I preach on pride and humility, I say this, but uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Right? It's not thinking like Eeyore, like, woe is me. I'm I'm such a mess. Like, I'm just, I suck and everybody else is great. That, that's not it. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? It's not like, oh, I'm this loser, but rather I'm thinking about others. I, I'm, not really cons- I'm not focused on me. I'm learning to look out for others. So how do we practice humility? Well, we think about others. How often? Well, maybe just more than you. I mean, that's, if we started there, that's like a pretty... Pretty base, like a pretty good goal. Think about others more than you. Well, I think about me constantly. I mean, all the time. I wake up, it's me. I need coffee. Right? Get up, make my coffee. I need food. It's all about me. And, and it takes a while before we begin to think about others. So learn to think about others. The second motivation is Jesus. <laughs> We can't get to God on our own. We need Jesus. And listen, we need Jesus once for salvation, and then we need Jesus every day for life. You need need to place faith in Jesus for sins to be forgiven and to be entered into life in relationship with him. We need Jesus. We need the cross. We need what Jesus has done for us. We need access to him. And we need him for salvation, but we need him every single day for life. The relationship with God is not a transaction, right? It's not, okay, I said this little prayer. I said it. I'm saved. Like, I got my white robe. I'm singing kumbaya, like, we're all good. And that was it. It was my one transaction, and now I'm good. No, no. Being saved is transformation. We're daily, we're coming to Christ, and we're daily allowing him to shape and reshape us into the people he wants us to be. So it's a decision, but it's a direction, right? It's something we choose. I'm going to follow Jesus, but by saying I'm a follower of Jesus, it implies that we're following Jesus. Are you hearing me? Following Jesus is not following me. (laughs) Following Jesus is not following Instagram. Following Jesus is not following just my friends at school. Following Jesus is saying, I am going to follow him. And 
his ways and his words and what he's into and what he's against and all of it. And part of following Jesus is taking all of it. Right? Jesus would say, uh, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. And he would tell one sermon. He, he, would, he had a huge crowd of people. I love this story. He's got a huge crowd of people. And he stands up and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. And everybody's like, that is so weird. And we're literally told that from that day, a bunch of people left. They're like, I'm out. This is getting too weird for me. I'm not into it. And they leave. And I could imagine people are like, Jesus, like, we had a good thing going. People are listening to you. People are following you. And then you, just, you had to say the one weird thing about the flesh and the blood. Why, Why the flesh and the blood, man? But just keep it easy. Keep it simple. Keep it like, you know, keep it light, man. All right, let's keep going. Next time you'll get them. Everyone's like, what, what are you doing? And Jesus looks at the apostles and he says, are you guys going to leave too? Like, has this offended you guys also, the 12 disciples? And Peter speaks up and he says, where else am I going to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. What Jesus is teaching them is that it's not just about the parts you like about God that you take. It's about the whole thing. It's about I'm choosing to trust my whole life into the hands of God and I'm choosing to obey everything that God says. And because of that, even if it's disagreeable, even if it's culturally irrelevant or, or whatever, we're going to say I'm taking all of it. It's Jesus. And then the third thing, how do we practice humility is through God's word. Right? We trust that God will be true and every man a liar. His ways are the best even when we can't see it in the, mo in the moment. So humility. So we practice humility from others because of Jesus and by God's word. All right, point number three. You guys still with me? All right, I got a couple more minutes. We'll be done soon. Point three is Christ's way is best. So good and bad humility, practice humility, and then Christ's way is best. Um, the passage we began with is one of the most remarkable and powerful overview of the person and the work of Christ. Uh, it begins with Christ's divinity. In other words, Christ is God. Christ is God. When we talk about Jesus, we're talking about God. You understand that? When we talk about Jesus, we're talking about God, Christ's divinity. It says, uh, again, in a, in a kind of complex, confusing passage, it says, Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. In other words, Jesus is God. But not only does it speak of Christ's divinity, it also speaks of Christ's equality. He is the second person of the Trinity. Now let me, we're going to go here for a second because it's important. We believe in one God, but that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons that make up the Godhead, all co-equal co-eternal, but distinct in role and function, equal in power and position. Although Jesus is forever revealed as the Son and at the right hand of the Father, he is also forever revealed as the sacrificial lamb with the marks of the sacrifice. But he is equal with the Father, but forever revealed to us as the Son. Did I lose you? Okay, if I lost you, 
it's probably a good thing because we're talking about the Trinity. It's, it's complex. It's, it's, it's one of those things that's like, and I'm not saying it's complex like one day you'll figure it out. I'm saying it's complex that all of us, when we're face-to-face with God in glory, will finally like kind of figure it out. I'm not standing up here with the microphone and being like, I understand the Trinity. What I'm saying is that God is one, but he's three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when we talk about God the Father, and we talk about God the Son, and we talk about God the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. But it says, this is the text, that Jesus, being uh, in the form of God, didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, if I stood up here today and I said, I'm equal with God, you'd be like, you're nuts, or God is really lousy, right? Like if this was God, you'd be like, I pictured him a little bit buffer or something. Like that just, that's not quite it, right? It would be robbery for me to say that because of my characteristic, because of my emotions, because of how I behave. All of it would, would, it would demote the character of God. Jesus, because he is God, he didn't consider it robbery to, take, to, to be equal with God because he in every way, in every attribute, in every decision, in every action, he is equal to God. He is God. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. And yet, we're told that even though he is God, even though he is equal with God, he took on humanity. And we see Christ's humility in this. Although he's God, he humbled himself to humanity and to service and to ultimately to death. And listen to me. This wasn't because he had a low view of himself. This wasn't because God wants to make people suffer. This was because God's way is the best. It wasn't like the, the Godhead drew straws or, 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 or played rock, paper, scissors, or rolled dice to say which person of the Godhead was going to condescend to earth and be a human to live and suffer and die. And Jesus got the short end of the stick, and it's like, all right, Jesus, like you, you, got, you got to go suffer. Me and the Holy Spirit are going to kick it up here. No, no. Jesus forever is... Revealed to us as the Son, and because of the love of God and the heart of God and the ways of God, they chose, he chose to reveal himself this way, and God's way is best. Why? Because humility leads to higher heights. Humility leads to higher heights. Why would I say that? Well, listen to what the text says. Because Jesus humbled himself, listen, God also has highly exalted him and given him, Jesus, the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What am I saying? Jesus' humility actually led him to the highest heights. Because he took on flesh, because he suffered and died, now he is given the name, the, the highest glory, that forever Jesus will be exalted and glorified as the name above every name, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every tribe, tongue, person, peoples will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the promise. Listen, the application, again, Paul's using this to draw application for us. 
When we're able to submit ourselves humbly before God, he can elevate us into all the things he wants for us to live in. That's the point. Christ's way is best. How? Well, it allows us to have a proper view of self. It allows us to have an esteemed view of others. And it allows us to be established by God, not by our own ability, not by our own willpower, not by our own determination. The lower you go, the more you can grow. The lower you go, the more God is able to elevate you into the things that he has for you. If you go out and think it's my ability, it's my determination, it's my influence, it's my success that's going to make me matter, forget about it. Right? Okay, cool. You rack up a bunch of followers on TikTok. Sick. We're so proud of you. Oh, man, you made a bunch of money. That's awesome. Your great-grandkids, when you're dead, are going to love it. Right? Like, what's the, what are we talking about here? What are we saying? My, my own ambition is going to make me matter. No, 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 no. When I submit myself to God and I'm part of his kingdom that reigns forever and ever and ever, then I matter. You hearing me? Humility allows God to elevate us into his plan and his purposes. And that doesn't mean success. God's like exaltation for us is not to put us above every name. Right? It's to put Jesus. It's to magnify and glorify him.